the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Come to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It has been a crazy Saturday here in college football, and it is not done yet because as we are coming to you, USC has the ball up 48 to 45 on UCLA. Less than four minutes left as I've got it on the TV here in the office. And we will give you our full reaction to that game uh, when it does go final. But so much more to get to because we saw number three Michigan and number four TCU narrowly avoid disaster. Tennessee, not so lucky. Uh, disastrous would probably pertain to the result and also the fallout from that game. Much more on that in just a little bit. The doors do it again. Back-to-back SEC wins for the first time since 2018. We had a loony ending in Laramie. We had a bad beat in the big game. Drake May's Heisman chances were dropped by Josh Downs. And by the end of this night, not the end of the podcast, but by the end of this night, five teams from the top 16 will have losses Voters have to sort it out Sunday morning. We'll make some projections here on the podcast. The College Football Playoff Selection Committee has until Tuesday to rig it for whatever they want for TV ratings. And the landscape of the sport, like without a doubt, has changed. Our expectations for all of this has changed based on everything that's happened in Week 12. Excited to break it down with you all. So, I feel like uh, while this game, USC and UCLA, is still going on, I, let's start with what already happened. Because, Tom, Michigan and Illinois, there is uh, there are a lot to pick apart when it comes to Michigan for us to be concerned about. Blake Corum goes down with an injury. The offense continues to have to settle for field goals instead of getting touchdowns. There's also a little bit of controversy here as it pertains to uh, the officiating and you know Brett Bielema's comments after the game. You were live blogging this game. 
my heart goes out to you that you had to invest so much emotionally and professionally into this. What are our, our strongest takeaways in terms of Michigan escaping home defeat at the hands of the fighting Illini? Michigan is very dependent on Blake Corum. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the one thing from the game that, like, first play of the game, he breaks free for a 37-yard run. They go 75 yards, seven plays, score a touchdown. Then they had long drives after that that didn't end in points, but, like, Blake Corm was the focus of the offense still. Like, I mean, he had, like, a 41-yard screen pass in which about 45 of the yards came after the catch. And once he got hurt, like, he left with 100 yards rushing and, like, 40 yards receiving all in the first half. Once he left the game, Michigan's offense didn't do anything. Like they could, they were already missing Donovan Edwards, who was banged up. So they're down their number two back. Corm leaves the game, and it kind of became, it kind of got put on JJ McCarthy's shoulders. And nobody in the Michigan passing game, as far as tight ends and receivers, was really able to do much of anything. McCarthy was not able to push the ball down the field. Like if you looked, all of Michigan's explosive passing plays, I did the math. I can't remember exactly what it was, but roughly eighty percent of the yards on them came after the catch. So it was short throws and big runs afterwards, which is, you know, it's it's kind of a problem. So they were able to escape, get the win, get the four field goals in the second half to come back. Illinois taking the lead. First, first of all, it's the first time Michigan allowed touchdowns in the third quarter all season. It's the first time they trailed in the fourth quarter all season, but they were able to get some field goal drives, get the lead, get the win. That's really all that matters. The bigger news is if Blake Corm is banged up, and I mean, he came back in the third quarter. He tried to play. He he came he in for the one first half. He had one carry, right? Yeah, and then you never saw him again, mm-hmm. which doesn't bode well. So, if he's not able to play next week against Ohio State, based on what I saw today, because you know Illinois has a very good defense, just like Ohio State does. Based on what I saw today, I'm very worried if I'm Michigan about next week's game. No doubt about it. So a, a couple stats here that I to like to me kind of encapsulate what we saw in the game. M- Michigan had one tackle for loss. Yeah. Like I'm not saying Illinois drove the ball on them effectively, but Illinois was able to operate without just an insane amount of harassment. And that's not normal. If we go back to the Penn State game, I thought Michigan had a lot more just kind of havoc created in the backfield of Penn State, which has a good offensive line, you know, a couple of future NFL guys on it. Uh, than it did against Illinois. So credit to Illinois uh, for blocking Michigan for most of the day. Uh, There was definitely kind of an emotional shift too, I felt like, because Michigan's up, what, four? They're going down. It's a did, did he get the first down on the run that, that Quorum took the shot on, or, or was it going to be like, like second and four? He had set up a first down in the red zone when he fumbled, yeah. Okay, so he fumbles, and they really, to Tom's point, they never looked the same after that, uh, and I wonder if it wasn't kind of an emotional thing, like, oh man, like I know we got to win this game, but that's our horse. If he's out, like that's it's a problem. I, I'm glad he came back in the game because it tells me it's not something like the McGahee injury, right? Like, and, and well, yeah. usually, like, but like when you first saw it, right, you, you, the the low hit below below the uh, the knee, I, I think guys of our age think, oh man, that McGahee shot, like that's ooh god, and then he, he stayed down for a little while too. So there's that. The other thing is. I think I counted like five or six just bad misfires when JJ McCarthy was unbothered in the pocket relatively. Mm-hmm. And like he cannot seem to hit these crossing routes. Like like the Michigan's tight ends are are huge. 
and he's throwing it over their heads consistently. Everything is high. He's not finishing his throws. He's not really snapping it off. And I, man, that's uh, that's a concern because Michigan State threw it on Illinois a little bit, and Purdue certainly threw, threw it on Illinois in better weather or worse weather than what we got today. Man, McCarthy looked off again, and that's is this passing offense getting any better? Because I don't see it. Yeah, and Illinois was banged up in the secondary. Like they did mm-hmm. not have Taz Nicholson, they did not have Tyler Strain, which are two of their top four corners. Um, and like they didn't get any sacks. They did a decent job of getting pressure, but like you said, Michigan's defensive line didn't really cause any havoc. And I guess that's why the Illinois offensive line is nominated for the Joe Moore Award. But that was probably their best performance of the day. But it wasn't enough. So yeah, uh, it's a like like I said, if you're Michigan, you're thrilled you got the win. You're worried about next week. If you're Illinois, like I, I understand Bielema was upset with the refs. I was upset with the refs at the end of the game, but Illinois also had chances to put this thing away and didn't. They let they put the refs in a position where some close calls could, you know, cost them the game. And we've seen I've seen that situation with this team before. It's like they've had chances to beat good teams like this and they have failed to close. So that's just that's it's more on them, I think, than the officials. There is one side of this where, as we continue our conversation about the top teams, we're going to say, look, you got to win. College football is really tough. Just figuring out a way to get a win. But at the other, the other side is like, well, we've got these flaws. And, And when they are JJ McCarthy accuracy issues, when they are Michigan red zone issues, when, when all that starts to pile up, it's like, I came out of week 12 feeling worse about a lot of teams. And so on that note, I want to pivot to Ohio State because Ohio State was playing with its food for about a half with Maryland, finally was able to hit the gas, but this final score against the Terps is not representative of how close this game was all the way down the stretch where you had... Uh, a Maryland offense that was able to score and was able to move the ball on the Ohio State defense and where you had the need for, man, like, shocker. What would we had, When JTT had his, like, baller game, I was like, what's your biggest takeaway? It's like, recruiting matters. <laughs> and here we go again. Uh, three touchdowns. Three touchdowns from Dallin Hayden, and uh, that's just uh, the mark that was the Buckeyes offense. It wasn't necessarily CJ Stroud moving the ball through the air, though he did have some good passes and some good passing plays. It was Ohio State leaning on the ground game to be able to escape an upset spot. So before we get into any Ohio State-Michigan thoughts, where are we at with the Buckeyes, too, uh, after getting in and out of College Park with a victory? I, I have one fundamental disagreement here. I don't feel like Ohio State was ever in danger of losing this game. Ever? No. Trailing was, at halftime? Yeah, at halftime by three points. And then they took the lead early in the third quarter, and they never gave it back. And I thought Maryland moved the ball well but had to settle for field goals, which you could argue is like, oh, Ben, but don't break. Jim Knowles' defense, that's what he learned. That's what we saw from Oklahoma State in the Big 12. I still thought there was enough offensive success that Ohio State could get got later in this game. Uh, yeah, but like the thing is, Maryland was able to move the ball, but Maryland was never in Ohio State territory in the second half in a one score game. Like, the only time Maryland was able to score in the second half of that game was when it was down two scores. Okay, they moved down the field and scored. So, it's like 
I, I, yes, the, the, the scoop and score at the end of the game to make it a 13 point final at the end made it look a lot, you know, more of a quote unquote comfortable win than it was. But at no point while I was watching this game did I actually think Ohio State was going to lose it. I, I think that's fair. I, maybe I, I thought a little bit just because they looked off to me somewhat. Uh, Stroud, just not one of his better games. But I, I want to give Maryland's defense some credit here, guys. Like we, we, we get a lot of, lot of guys chirping at us on Twitter because we don't talk Maryland enough, which I think we just have a couple of really dedicated Maryland fans who also happen to like cover three, which we appreciate you all. Maryland can cover. I, I think I've seen enough of this team to know they can kind of cover people. And, and honestly, like that was considered a weakness for the for the squad coming into the season. I know they've had some injuries there. They covered Ohio State pretty well. Like, like Stroud did not have one of his better games. And you know, offensively, this is sort of like Maryland offense we were hoping to see for parts of this season. They blocked Ohio State all right. Uh, you know, like to his little brother's not that bad. Uh, they they moved it pretty well, and I just totally blinked on the kid's name because I, I don't oh, know yeah, how to yeah. it. Yeah, excuse me. Um, man, I and yet I do come away worrying more, I think, about Michigan than I do Ohio State because Ohio State, mm. like we say Stroud looks off. Stroud's off game looks better than McCarthy's A game. <laughs> game yes. And if Michigan doesn't have quorum, Ohio State does have Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, and also like Michigan loses its top two running backs and really struggles to move the ball. Ohio State loses its top two backs and Dallin Hayden rushes for 146 <laughs> three yards. Three touchdowns all after halftime. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's I, I'm with you, bud. But going back to Maryland for the for our Cover Three fans who do want us to talk more about Maryland, I have a question for you. Are you concerned at all that your two best games of the season were Michigan and Ohio State? Like, does it bother you that your team seemed a lot more prepared and ready to play these games than it does most of its other games? No, 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 for this reason. Because under Mike Loxley, Maryland had traditionally like been blown out in these type of games, and then they were they would play the bully as a favorite. Normally, Maryland kind of lays down to Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. If you look at it, they, they don't usually hang. So this year is a, a real departure from what they normally do. Okay. Hmm. Just, I, fair. Mike Loxley has a sub-500 record, right? Is it in Big Ten play or overall as Maryland's head coach? He's in his fourth season right now. I know he has a sub-500 record in either Big Ten play or overall, but he does have a couple bowl appearances, and they are bowl eligible again. Uh, they did not need this uh, in anything other than for pride and for reputation along the way. At this Maryland, is, if you don't, if you take away the 2015 stint as the interim, he is 18 and 22 overall, and nine and 21 in Big Ten play. It might be fair to demand more. I'm just, it's no Bud's right. Like in previous years, like this is a team that has beaten up on the teams it's supposed to beat up on, and it's gotten destroyed by the. East's elite teams, but it's just it's weird to me that this season they have played a bunch of close games against the teams they should beat. They did get blown out by Penn State, but then they came out with what I feel are their best two games of the season, better than most of their wins against Ohio State and Michigan. So as far as I like demanding more from Loxley, uh, I, I just want to wait until they redo the divisions ultimately. 
because you just have three kind of auto losses every year. It's just it's hard to have a winning record when when, when you start out zero and three every year. One of my favorite moments of this chaotic Saturday was when um, Sonny Dykes on the field after the game was posed with the question about you know how frantic things were as the clock was winding down. The team had no timeouts. They decided to run the ball on third and long. And then it was like, no, we're just going to try it out our field goal team, go out there and kick a game-winning 40-yard field goal. And he said, was it stressful? I'm, I'm paraphrasing the question. His response was more or less, nah, we were good. We run that in practice all the time. <laughs> and nothing better encapsulates just sort of the uh, energy, the vibes, the, the way that this TCU team has continued to move through this season more than TCU with its three best offensive players on the sideline, just Max Duggan putting the whole offense on his back, marching that team down the field, and with no timeouts, they still are able to execute. I mean, there was no substitution penalty. How many times do we see those kind of moments end up with a false start or a substitution penalty? Something along the lines that would end up spoiling your chance to be able to kick that game-winning field goal. And yet, TCU moves to 11-0. and They do not fall to the same fate of Kansas State in 2012. They do not fall to the same fate of Oklahoma State in 2015. The last two Big 12 teams to start the season 10-0 and both lost their 11th game to Baylor. <laughs> and yet, TCU is 11-0. The Hypnotoad lives on. Um, what, what, what do we make of the, uh, the, the vibes that continue for, uh, for Sonny Dykes and this team? They're versatile, right? Uh, it, the, the broadcast here clearly in, in their meeting with with Coach Aranda and the defensive staff for Baylor, they, they talked about how they were going to make everything stay in front, no explosive plays for that TCU offense. See if they could actually be disciplined, execute, get them off the first read. And the broadcast hammered that home. And, I, and I, as I watched, I was like, "Yeah, they're right. They are trying to do so." And honestly, they did a pretty good job of that. They allowed only two pass plays at thirty plus in the ballgame and a couple explosive runs, but not, not necessarily huge ones. But they said, hey, TCU, like, can you be physical? Can you win in a fist fight? Even though TCU kind of did that last week. So I think clearly that's the way that Big 12 defensive coordinators think you need to play this TCU team, and they're probably correct. If, if you allow this TCU team to hit explosive plays, you're, you're kind of dead in the water. But for the second straight week, TCU hung in there, traded punches. They were physical. Kendra Miller ran really hard. I think having a guy in Max Duggan who's, what, 23 or 24 years old, just played a lot of football, doesn't seem to panic a whole lot, uh, helps them. And then second-half adjustments made by TCU here were key. Uh, they had, I think, what, 140 more yards than Baylor did in the second half. They didn't panic Joe Gillespie. We, we talked on the Wednesday show when we did the preview. Would Dave Aranda be able to confuse Max Duggan? A little bit, sure, but – it was actually the opposite in the second half. I thought Joe Gillespie, TCU's defensive coordinator, who we talked about probably every week now because TCU keeps winning ball games, you know, he was able to confuse Blake Shapin down the stretch, I thought. And, you know, for Baylor, it came down and they had three drives that had like 170 combined yards in which he didn't score any points. One was long, had a pick. One was long, was two goal. One was long, turnover on downs. 
Yeah, like Sonny Dykes can say he wasn't nervous as they were running out to kick that field goal. I was pretty nervous. I know, right? Well, they were running out <laughs> to kick the field goal. Our, our uh, John Rothstein, CBS Sports Network, always says, "Get your nitroglycerin, get your nitroglycerin pills." You know, like this. This was a blood pressure medicine kind of moment for uh, for TCU right there. But Max Duggan cool as a cucumber. And to Bud's point, like this is a battle tested team. And it's one of the things we've talked about. Like they have been through the war every single week. And and the one aspect, it's like, man, you'd like to see them blow somebody out once in a while just for their own sake to chill out and rest. And people kind of question how good they are because they don't blow people out. And I understand that. But also, like if you get to the playoff, and we've seen it happen a lot of times with elite teams in big games that have coasted through their entire season. They get put in a tough spot. They're not really sure what to do because they're not used to being in that situation. So TCU has been put into it time and time again, and it comes out on the other side with a win. And I think that's only going to serve them well next week in the Big 12 championship. And then if they get through all that in the college football playoff. Mm. So you think that Matt Campbell is not going to spoil this? I don't think Matt Campbell's Iowa State team can spoil this, no. I don't think so either. I just I just don't think this Cyclones... I mean, well, I, I famous last words, but I don't think this Cyclones team can do it. Um, Kansas State won uh, at West Virginia. They are one win away. They play Kansas next week. They, If they win that game, they are in the Big 12 title game. Of course, that game between Kansas State and TCU, a TCU win was an absolute classic. So... We're going to be keeping our eyes on that as well as we try to handicap, you know, where TCU is, how they stack up against the best teams in the country. Speaking of the best teams in the country, does UCA, excuse me, does USC deserve a spot in that conversation after this win against UCLA? What did the Trojans prove to you in this victory? It's a tough Mute. question. Mute. Mute. No, you're still <laughs> muted, bud. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I know I've been talking all week about, about how uh, you know how, uh, our house has got the sickness right now. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to mute so I, you know, I can just kind of hawk this phlegm. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. Like, you got called out in the chat. Somebody said, like, does, why does it always sound like Chip has mucus in the back of his throat? And I said, well, because I've got two children ages yeah. two months and seven months old. They're both in daycare. It's November 19th. We've had degrees of 80 degrees and 28 degrees here in North Carolina. So guess what? The sinuses and the upper respiratory system are a little bit cooked. We're trying our best, bud. Don't ask for any kind of forgiveness. We are with you. We understand. You know, I don't have children. Listen to this. Free breathing. <laughs> Free breathing. <laughs> All right. So I thought USC was very physical tonight, especially with their offensive line. Like they they pushed around UCLA. UCLA is not a team that I want to play from behind because typically they have a good pass rush and USC blocked UCLA's pass rush. They ran for shoot, I could probably just look it up right now. Oh, they ran for a buck seventy nine on thirty eight carries. UCLA only had three tackles for loss on them the entire day, and they also were able to get Dorian Thompson Robinson to throw three interceptions, right? Like he just repeatedly didn't see kind of the one robber guy over the middle. And that was, that was, I think maybe the one time he hid behind the, uh, hid behind the ref, but 
ultimately, like we knew USC's defense was not great. It, it allowed 500 yards and 6.8 per play, but they were physical. They played enough defense situationally, and Caleb Williams made some ridiculous throws. Just yes. Like, <laughs> Yeah, Tom, take him here. That was insane. <laughs> the one where he was rolling out to his right and kind of just did the shortstop thing, like when you see a shortstop rolling into the hole to make the throw back across the infield, and he just fired an absolute laser to the sideline. It like it, it got the audible gasp out of me. But it, go, going back to this performance in the hole, talking about, like you were saying, the physicality that USC had tonight, kudos to the left side of their offensive line, who I thought just – played a damn near perfect game. It's like they were running outside zone. Anytime they ran to the left, there was not a time where I don't think they failed to seal the edge and get to the outside and pick up yards. It was just a masterful performance in that aspect. Uh, I also think that if you're USC, I mean, yes, it's a resume win. It's your first real resume win of the season. That's great. But more than anything, kind of like what you talked about with TCU a minute ago, they got down 14 to nothing. Mm-hmm. They got put in a situation they haven't been in. Like they had the tough game against Oregon State on the road earlier this year, and I think that was good for them to kind of you know test their metal. But they hadn't been down multiple scores against a team that they really hadn't been able to stop at any point, and they're not a defense that's been proven to get multiple stops in games. So for them to get those stops, to t- get those turnovers, to come back, erase that deficit, and then be the team that was in control for most of the second half. That's exactly what you wanted to see from this team all year. And if Caleb Williams is playing like he played tonight for the next few weeks and USC wins the Pac-12, I don't know that he's going to win it. But he's definitely kind of thrust himself with this performance right into the middle of the Heisman conversation. Oh, If he plays two more of these games, he's going to win the Heisman, I, I think. I mean, Stroud will be the favorite tomorrow, and I think he should be. He, but- he put up some more numbers today, and... Undefeated Ohio State with the preseason favorite leading him to undefeated. If they do beat Michigan next week, he will have enough numbers to where it's not egregious if you vote for him. A lot of voters don't actually pay much attention. Like We pay more attention than most of these guys, I think, especially the ones who have to cover an individual beat and are not sitting here watching you know, a whole lot of games. But Caleb Williams will at least get invited if if he does this a, a couple more times. Like I, I put a video on our, our YouTube page, and if you guys are listening to this, Tomorrow morning, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. A little short, like, would you rather bet USC to make the playoff at plus 600 or Caleb Williams for the Heisman at plus 900? Like, he has to go undefeated, I think, to win the Heisman. So give me Caleb for the Heisman if I had to, uh, to pick that. But a uh, quick little thing on, on Caleb. This kid is special. It's just as far as, like, arm talent and ability to put the ball where he wants to. We were out of lead 11 uh, shooting TikToks. And we were having these kids throw balls from uh, like the plus 40 to see if they could hit the crossbar. And Caleb hit it the first two throws <laughs> and walked off. I was like, okay, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, I want to respond to a comment um, from Patrick Fisher. Again, USC got tested and responded so good. Michigan got tested and responded and is meh. Uh, the, there's the huge difference. USC was able to prove it was able to play without Travis Dye today. Caleb Williams played spectacular because they have a great quarterback. Michigan lost its best player on offense today. It hasn't shown that it has a great quarterback. USC does not have to play Ohio State next week. We didn't say Michigan's meh. We said we're worried about Michigan State playing Ohio State next week if Blake Corum is banged up. There's a huge difference. But we are very excited that USC goes into this Notre Dame game with 
like playoff implications. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Oregon and Utah is going on. Hey, Bo Nix, you're, you're playing big, bad Bo. Um, what's what's our score? Is it 14 to three still? Yeah, but uh, yeah, Bo Nix just threw a bomb. Mm-hmm. Good, good ball. Utah is going to lose this game. But I'm going to lose another lock fight. I lost three lock fights to Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell is on fire and cannot beat him. Two yeah. of them came by like what six points or less, hmm. because between the the TC, the two for one lock fight, the the over under I missed by like uh, two points or so, and then obviously you know TCU did not cover, but it's okay. That's what we do, right? We don't we we don't show up ready for battle if we're not ready to take a few scars along the way. I I think that Caleb Williams is. As a Heisman Trophy voter, I do not want to try to influence the conversation, but uh, I do think that Caleb Williams has done a lot to change the dynamic of this. I was more impressed by Caleb Williams than I was by C.J. Stroud today. I was more impressed by Caleb Williams than I was by Blake Corum. I was more impressed by Caleb Williams than I was by Drake May. So take a look at the candidates at the top of your Heisman odds board. You can kind of see how the stock is moving which brings us to our next point. Jordan, I'm so sorry. This is not a good night. Speaking of shifting Heisman odds, where is Spencer Rattler on your Heisman board after tonight? <laughs> oh. It was six total touchdowns, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I, I spent like minutes, minutes of time on the Cover 3 podcast and minutes, not hours, but minutes of time on the CBS on CBS Sports HQ and the Cover Three podcast, talking about what a job Tim Banks had done with this Tennessee defense, and buddy, South Carolina puts up sixty three on the Dagum scoreboard in a sixty three to thirty eight win. Hendon Hooker knocked out with an injury. I don't. Do we have any updates on like what the news is there? It's did not look good to me. Non contact leg. He was in a lot of pain. I don't have the highest of hopes, but I'm hoping for the best. It looked like the Dennis Dixon injury from about 15 years ago. Remember in the desert when he just went down and like mm-hmm. nobody touched him? Yeah. But he was walking on the side, like or limping at least on the sideline. So it wasn't a, a cart situation, luckily. But not good. Um, no. Where Do you guys want to hear the stat? What? You sure? All right. So entering tonight, South Carolina had scored 18 offensive touchdowns in conference play. They scored nine tonight. <laughs> I mean, what? Where did we go wrong here? Like, what? What? What happened? Listen, Williams Bryce at night. I'm telling you, it is key because that crowd they play Sandstorm, and those people just get kind of you know a little crazy. If you don't come out and quiet those people quickly, tonight can happen to you. Tennessee did not quiet. Tennessee let them get louder. South Carolina lead, jumps right out to a 7 nothing lead, and they were crazy all night. And that place, I mean, it's, it's one of the more underrated atmospheres from what I can tell when I watch South Carolina games on television, I think, in the country. Um, all right, let's go back like three or four weeks ago when South Carolina beat Texas A&M and we talked about how bad South Carolina's offense looked and they won the game sort of in spite of the offense because they had a defensive score 
and they had a, a special team score or, or a score set up by, you know, the the aforementioned two things there. And we said like they they had a bunch of deep shots, they just couldn't hit on them. And then the next two weeks, those really went away, right? They or not next weeks, but two of the next three weeks. So they, they did score on Vanderbilt. A lot of people have scored points on, on Vanderbilt this year. We'll get to Vandy in a second. Um, they looked like crap again against Missouri. They just no-showed the Florida game. I was like, God, what, what kind of internal problems do they have going on there at South Carolina? We all had Satterfield on our uh, on our hot seat list as far as the coordinators. I probably still would, by the way. Like, I don't think one game erases all that. You, you can't look terrible for you know, six out of your eight SEC games. But they hit the deep shots tonight. Tennessee was missing a... a, a like a couple of really key defenders, including like one of their best linebackers. And I think it showed South Carolina repeatedly hit them over the middle of the field. They were the more physical team. I think Tennessee kind of walked in there and figured, okay, we'll get the lead. And, you know, Tennessee playing without the lead is a little bit different, I guess, uh, as we saw against Georgia. But the main thing was they, they hit the deep shots. They were able to hit some explosive plays to the outside with, with some of the jet sweep stuff. And Tennessee just, they never got stops. Like, I don't know how many, how many drives, how many times did South Carolina not score? Let's check. They had 12 total drives, two of them ending the half, so 10 actual drives, nine touchdowns, Hi. one punt. That's pretty good. That's, that's decent. That's not bad. It's a decent day. That's a no-show. But didn't we, yeah. didn't we say something like this was going to happen in the preseason? Like we're, The whole thing with Spencer Rattler, when he ended up in South Carolina – weren't we kind of like trying to temper South Carolina fans' expectations of what they were actually getting, but saying it's, he's going to tear somebody up, but for the most part, he's not going to be that good? I did not say that, so I was wrong there, but you you were right. That was said. I don't think anybody thought he'd be as bad as he's been. Yes. Like he had a less than one touchdown-to-pick ratio in conference play entering tonight. I would I would ask Jordan to go find the tape, but I feel like that would just be mean. <laughs> That would be mean. So before we get into our uh, conference by conference whip around, before we get into our projections for what the new college football playoff rankings are going to look like, how about the number one team in the country? 16 to six winners against Kentucky. Did it seem that close to you? I I never like Ohio State. I never thought Georgia was going to lose. Agreed. Never thought Georgia was going to lose in this game because I just didn't trust Kentucky to block them consistently enough. However, I I will say maybe Georgia is saving their red zone touchdown plays for the playoff or the SEC title game, which would be smart. But they have had some struggles with this. It seems like when Georgia gets in that jumbo formation for what is otherwise, I think, a pretty good offensive line, they're nominated for the Joe War- Joe Moore Award. They very well might win the Joe Moore Award this year. Around the goal line, they are not very good in short yardage, and I'm not really sure why. I Maybe I'll take some time. Actually, no, this, this week is Thanksgiving. I will probably not take some time to look into this, but maybe before the SC title game, we'll, we'll, we'll go back and pull some of the clips to see what, what we see. But that kind of kept Kentucky in the game. The inability to convert in short yardage, in the low red zone, having to kick too many field goals. Luckily, the defense is just otherworldly, and I, I don't even know. Uh, what Levis's numbers were. They, they, they couldn't have been very good. The problem is, I don't think you can go with a scheme explanation. Okay. One-on-one battles were lost 
They had Jalen Carter as a lead blocking fullback, and they were still unable to get those short yardage situations against Kentucky, which the identity of this program, you know, the the way that this team has performed, the unders daggum what nine and I guess ten and one now through through Kentucky's all, all of Kentucky's games this season. Then the offense might have something to do with that. Um, I believe that there are just uh, great future NFL players on that offensive line, but in actual execution, they just they they lost. They're they're losing some of those battles. And if you want to be concerned about that, I think that might be a a, a valued concern. I think there is a schematic explanation, actually. Oh, okay. I, this is a theory. And again, it's Thanksgiving week, so like Bud, I will not be doing any research into it. I'm just going to send it out there and see what happens. <laughs> um, when George is in the red zone or inside the five, defenses do not worry about Stetson Bennett because when you're in that area of the field, the windows get tighter. You need the arm to get the ball through some tighter windows. Stetson Bennett, and I, I, I like Stetson Bennett more than most, but he doesn't have the arm to take advantage of that. So I think defenses kind of just sell out stop the run and they get away with it more often than not or at least more often than you expect and i also think like we said, there was one situation too where i think it was like a third and one and they qb sneaked with bennett stetson is not a large man he's not going to push the pile in that kind of situation so it's like you know there's a difference between having will levis running a qb sneak and stetson bennett running a qb sneak because if your center doesn't get quite the push that maybe you want will levis can get it himself stetson bennett's not going to get it I think that's the problem. This is also where the height stuff comes in. And uh, again, like short quarterbacks can succeed, but it's not really big. But it's hard to see over your offensive line at times, especially because you don't have the traditional passing windows because for the most part, most teams are going to run, like they're going to cut their blocking splits down, right? Like no, nobody's using big old splits down on the goal line because it just doesn't make sense because you're not actually spaced that out out that much from a, a depth perspective. So you have more guys covering more gaps early on, right? So I think it. I think Stetson has smaller windows to look through. Uh, Kyler Murray also has some issues with this down in the goal. When, when you watch the Cardinals, they move the pocket a lot for him. And basically a lot of the Cardinals red zone stuff is Kyler run around and chuck it. I think the uh, if you guys recall the Raiders game that Arizona played three or four weeks ago, Couple, like go, go watch the Cardinals red zone plays in that game. If you guys have the, I don't have it, but if you have the NFL thing where you can watch all the NFL replays, they had to do you a lot of that look stuff. it up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So short quarterbacks in the red zone occasionally because the passing windows are are tough. It can be a little bit tougher for them, but at the same time, Georgia would have to attempt some passes in order for us to know that. And so I think that's more of a holistic thing, like just overall as opposed to today where Georgia only threw the ball sixteen times. I saw no push in some of, and you're right. Like some of that might be bodies. Some of that really might be schematic, but I don't know. Some of it might've been Kentucky. True. I guess we should give some praise to uh, the Wildcats who showed up a little bit in that 16. It's still a really good defense. The offense puts it in horrendous situations nonstop. Mm -hmm. And then they, they still battle and they, they were physical. It's also tough. To give Georgia like some more credit here, it's tough to play back-to-back road games, right? They had the uh, the like the late time slot on I think it was SEC Network or ESPN last week because they were they were finishing 
as we were going on air, right? They had to go to Starkville. It was the late time slot. Then you got to fly back. It's tough. You know Kentucky's going to play, play physical even if the offense is horrendous. It, like, do you really want to bang for 60 minutes? You're probably a little bit beat up this point in the season. You know you pretty much have a playoff spot locked up if you just win. They don't really need style points. I, it, I wasn't – I don't know. Like, I wasn't super impressed by Georgia, but I definitely am not knocking them quite as much. Yeah, like the Kentucky defense held Georgia's offense to a 42% success rate, which is good against Georgia. And like you said, like their offense, Kentucky's average starting field position was its own 16. Georgia's was its 33. So it's like that defense does the best that it can, and it did a good job today. It's just got no help. So again, Mark Stoops has really kind of turned Kentucky into Iowa of the SEC. So the teams that are ahead of USC before we hit the break and start talking about the rankings, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee, and LSU, which is still in action, but seems to be handing our beloved Dragons the business right now in Baton Rouge. Who is the most impressive? All right, the names one more time. So those went pretty fast. And, and you, you, Georgia? You the Georgia Bulldogs, who won 16 to 6 against uh, Kentucky, Ohio State, which won against Maryland, Michigan over Illinois, TCU over Baylor, Tennessee lost. I, obviously, they are eliminated from this. And let's say LSU uh, incomplete, considering that that game is still going on right now. Who was the most impressive from that group? So of like the top four, basically, then, because it's not going to be Tennessee. We're not really judging LSU. <laughs> um, because all of the top four was like, uh, that's you, the thing. You, you might have had those moments. You said, I, I didn't think that Georgia was ever going to lose. I agree. I don't think that Ohio State was ever going to lose. I, I think I probably agree. I never actually started preparing a new update to the tomorrow's top 25 today, but everyone had to sweat a little bit. They I all failed to cover by multiple scores, except yes. for, for TCU, right? I mean, Georgia was a 22 point favorite. Uh, Ohio State was a 27 point favorite. Michigan was a 20 or 17 18. point favorite. So, yeah. you know, three scores, three scores, three scores plus. Um, and then little old TCU. I, I guess I'll go TCU um, because I, I do think that Baylor is the best opponent of those four. And then they went on the road and got the dub. I'll go with Ohio State simply because it made the most wow plays of those four teams. Fair. Coming up on the other side, we go conference by conference with some of our biggest takeaways from week 12 and our projections and predictions for what the new AP Top 25 and maybe even college football playoff rankings, whatever you want to call them, how these teams stack up against each other, what the new Top 25 will look like after week 12. Next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's begin with the Atlantic Coast Conference, where Clemson won 40 to 10 against Miami, where North Carolina 
lost 21 to 17 as a 21 point favorite to Georgia Tech, who is now five and six at home, where Notre Dame extended its winning streak against ACC opponents in regular season games. Since entering into a scheduling agreement in 2014, Notre Dame is 40 and seven against ACC opponents in regular season games. Might want to change that agreement. Like, are you sure you want to play five games against Notre Dame every year? Uh, Florida State absolutely worked Louisiana 49 to 17. They were up 35 to three at halftime left. No doubt. Louisville gets a 25 to 10 win against NC State. Virginia Tech wins against Liberty. Going for two late does not work out for the Blue Devils. Uh, 28 to 26 loss at Pittsburgh. Wake overcomes an early deficit and wins 45 to 35 in a shootout against Syracuse. What are some of the big takeaways from the ACC this weekend? Oh, North Carolina. That's what happens, man. Yeah, but I mean, uh. <laughs> I was listen. Somebody, uh, Ross Martin, inside Carolina, like fan. Fantastic. If you are a North Carolina fan who is uh, listening to Cover 3 podcast and you are not an Inside Carolina member, you are doing it wrong. I, I say that earnestly, not just because uh, Ross is a friend, but he was even given the, like, he did the, the frat recon, you know, like go around to see, like, which uh, houses are having band parties. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like, Seems like it was a big one in Chapel Hill. Five thirty kickoff. You know, like you're you're surging. You're nine and one. You're talking college football playoff. Basketball team is still undefeated, ranked near the top of the country. And listen, that is uh, North Carolina football is the ultimate Icarus team. When you start flying too close to the sun, that's when you're gonna fall. And do you, do you think it was the sun that got in Josh Downs' eyes, buddy? I feel sick for that kid. Fourth down, in the end zone, wide open, go-ahead score with minutes left in the game, Josh Downs drops it. That guy had 15 catches or something earlier this season in a single game. But that one right there doesn't cost them a shot at the ACC championship. The Coastal Division's locked up, but brutal. So on this podcast, we have talked a lot about how bad Zach Gibson is and how wrong we were about him because we were actually pretty excited when he transferred from the MAC to Georgia Tech and thought maybe he could beat out Jeff Sims. And he has been nothing short of terrible his entire year. Like, we were not wrong about how he has been. And he's been probably, like, the worst quarterback I've watched this season who gets to play a lot. Uh, and obviously he was the backup to Sims and was actually was the backup to, uh, to Pyron as well before both those guys went down with injury or transfer portal illness or, or, or whatever it may be. He was 13 of 18 for a buck 74 tonight and did not throw an interception. That is not a stat line that's going to blow you away, but it is almost 10 yards per attempt, and it is just so much better than anything that kid has done this year. So shout out to him because he has been, again, I mean, just awful. And tonight, not only was he not awful, he was actually pretty decent. Uh I think that allowing 372 yards to this Georgia Tech team by North Carolina's defensive staff should be a fireable offense. Uh, but we pr- probably also need to talk about the job that Georgia Tech's defense did against this UNC offense. I mean, hold them under 400 yards. Like, people don't do that. That was that was damned impressive. I wish I could have got to watch more of this. 
Does Brent Key have a shot to get this job, do you think? How broke is Georgia Tech? Because if they're as broke as I think they are, then yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of guys who wouldn't take the Georgia Tech job because they they hired a dude who's a straight fundraiser at at AD. How much funds do you think he's raised in in his five weeks on the job? Like, I'm not saying Brent Key may be the long-term solution, but I mean... I jokingly texted Tom and said that based on ECU's performance against Houston today, I wondered if Mike Houston was working on the resume this week instead of the game plan. Yeah. I mean, just saying, I mean, I feel like I, I made the joke too in Slack today. I says Lane Kiffin's looking in his playbook for answers, but all he sees is the resume. The Auburn resume. Yeah. Ar- Arkansas alt line. No doubt. 10 uh, degrees. Lane looking to the Southeast. Maybe Hugh freeze lost to Virginia tech. Wait, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shoot! I, 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 I thought it's, Liberty got him. Okay, they got the interview flu this week all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, it's it. So, here's uh, one thought from the ACC with the results of today, which include you know Tennessee losing. The door is open for Clemson to make the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's everything mm-hmm. when Clemson's very much that. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Dabo's. Devil's going to all three church services tomorrow. He's holding doors. He's passing the plate and doing like the, like the bugs or like like he's collecting the plate and just zipping it back and forth. And and he's he's singing from the hymnal. Like he is. Uh, he spent a lot of time in church tomorrow because they all their prayers were answered as far as college ball playoff. That was so, extremely helpful. Well, but you, I, I, I told y'all here on this podcast that as part of self care Saturday, I didn't want any part of this. I've got it recorded. I'm going to come back to it. I do not have actual X's and O's takeaways on this game, and I'm not going to fake it as such. But oh, I did watch you, this game. You, I know you watched this game because you gave us a Miami quit watch update in the group chat. So I do want to at least like get into the like this Clemson team still has to play a South Carolina team that put 63 on the board against Tennessee. It still has to play North Carolina, which while the Tar Heels laid an absolute egg in Chapel Hill are dangerous and over the course of the body of work have been more explosive than they were against the Yellow Jackets. Brian Brzee did not play in this game. Malcolm Green, he's been in and out of the lineup. The availability with Green has been a little bit uh, you know, up and down. But what did we make of Clemson, both sides of the ball against Miami? Uh, they came out even though they didn't have those guys you mentioned. Uh, I think Fred Davis didn't play as, as well. Another corner for them. They were dominant in the first half. Uh, Miami had eight yards of offense in the first half. They were pretty inept, which is, you know, like why I took Clemson's one of the very few locks I had that actually hit this week because I figured Miami's offense would, would look like trash and Clemson made it look like trash. Offensively, Clemson moved the ball pretty well in the first half. And then in the second half, uh, Clemson continued to move the ball quite well for the most part. And they had five fumbles and a pick and still won by 30. It was uh, – Miami like had no – you're mad, yeah. but yet at the same time you won by 30. Miami had no real interest in tackling. They just had interest in like late hits, personal fouls, and trying to strip the ball, which they did a lot. Like they would hold – like they would get some serious strips here. 
But uh, Clemson goes for what 450 yards. All those drives stop with with, with turnovers. Uh, Miami ends up getting 98 yards, most of that in, in garbage time. Clemson still has a pretty good D line. This offense is not that bad. Notre Dame is looking better through the loss at the Irish. I think looks a little bit better or a little more excusable each week, especially if they beat USC next week, which I guess they could. Uh, guys, Clemson has a pretty nice shot at this playoff. Like wh- one loss, Michigan, from what I saw today, should not be going over Clemson. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I Would think one loss, Ohio out. State, because they have the mutual game against Notre Dame. Well, who's are you saying Michigan beats Ohio State? Correct. If that happens because Ohio State beat uh, Notre Dame, would the committee take Ohio State? I think if Clemson wins out, it is in no matter what because well, I don't really think there is any thought process to what they ultimately do. They have at least shown some propensity for when teams are close the tiebreaker is the conference title. So if yep. Clemson wins the ACC and it's a one-loss non-Big Ten champion, I think they would go with Clemson, especially the fact that it's Clemson, too, helps. If it's a one-loss North Carolina, I don't know that I would believe that as much. Well, it's a two-loss North Carolina now. But I'm saying, if it, yeah, had it been a one-loss North Carolina, that might not have been as solid. Mm. All right, what about looking at the rest of the Big Ten where the Iowa Hawkeyes... 13 to 10 winners at Minnesota. Thought they had a little bit of pick six. Was a strip, was a strip return? It was a pick six, right? It was a pick six, and it should have been a pick six. You didn't think he stepped out? He didn't step out of bounds. They blew the play dead. He didn't step out of bounds. Anyway, Hawkeyes end up winning. Uh, Indiana, 39-31 in double overtime against Michigan State. Michigan State blows a 24-7 halftime lead in that victory, in the defeat. Purdue wins 17-9 against uh, Northwestern. And Wisconsin wins 15-14 against Nebraska. And I, I wrote this in tomorrow's Top 25 today. There's so much chaos within sort of the top 16 teams in the rankings. One of the only ones who just absolutely lived up to expectations was Penn State. Yes. 55 to 10. <laughs> so much like panic and frustration and hand wringing all across the top 15 to 20 teams in the country. Penn State, yes, they gave up a, a couple scores early, but 55 to 10 at least uh, has the Nittany Lions fans feeling good as the Nittany Lions do improve to 9 and 2 overall. Uh, we already talked about Michigan and Ohio State. What are some of the big takeaways from the Big Ten? Apparently that Wisconsin win was pretty important. Oh, because the job just got posted? Yeah. Like, I, again, th- with the decommits there earlier this week, just other stuff coming out of Madison, earlier this week I had a pretty good, decent indication that it wasn't going to be Jim Leonard. And then shortly after Wisconsin comes back, because they were down 14 to three to start the fourth quarter, come back, they win 15 to 14. The report comes from Jeff Patrikas that they've posted the job and that Jim Leonard is expected to get it. So I don't know what happened, but apparently there's been a change in Madison that looks like Leonard's getting it. And I'm happy for him because I think he deserved the job. Uh, elsewhere in the conference. Oh, can, can, can I say something on the Leonard thing real fast? 
Sure. This is not a commentary on whether Leonard should get the job or should not, but rather on the process. If you are choosing to hire a head coach based on what happens in one game, that is a terrible hiring process. You, This guy has been in your building for how many years now? You should know, right? How is he managing people? How is how is he recruiting? How is he interacting with players? How is he interacting with boosters? You've, you've got to see all that stuff now more behind the scenes. Like, I'm not saying that this this type of decision making doesn't happen, but it's reactionary nonsense. Like, you you should pretty much know when you made the decision to fire the guy, whether Leonard could be the guy or not. Now, maybe there's a couple things you had to eval as a head coach. Almost certainly, they're not going to be on game day unless he just makes the most ridiculous game day blunders ever or like punches the sideline reporter or something crazy, right? It's maybe like, hey, how does he do uh, managing more of our, our, our big-time boosters? How does he project his vision for the program? But we're making a, a, you know, a it's probably, what, $50 million guaranteed decision based on whether he beats Nebraska I want to be clear. I don't know that that's 100% what okay. happened. All right, I'm, I'm just saying, I had from – and it wasn't the AD. So again, we don't know for sure. I'm just saying from something I heard earlier this week, from something somebody told me, it sure seemed to be going a different direction a few days ago. They play Minnesota for the final game of the regular season at home next Saturday. By state law, regulation, rules, I don't know, but it has to be open for seven days. Mm-hmm. So they are setting themselves up to announce Jim Leonard as the new head coach at the end of the regular season. season ends. Yep. Yeah. So maybe that was always the case. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it might not have been tied specifically to congratulations. You beat Nebraska. Now you get the job like, Oh, I'm not going to give you the cookie yet until you go to Lincoln. Now I'll give you the cookie. Like I, I don't, I think it was probably a little bit more, you know, timed than that. Though the fact that they are now bowl eligible as opposed to being five and six and going into the Minnesota game needing the win to be bowl eligible does make it a little bit easier, I think, from an optics perspective, right? Can you do the rest of the show in that voice? Mm, probably not. The I mean, rest of the Big Ten? It would annoy me. <laughs> I've made bigger sacrifices, <laughs> made bigger sacrifices for the cover three podcast than just annoying myself. Well, okay. well, hello, gentlemen. I did watch any of Purdue and Northwestern. Oh, it was a poor, poor. Oh, I did. You did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? Yeah. I, well, I had, I, I had, I had some Purdue because I, I, I got word that uh, both quarterbacks would be out for Northwestern, and then I saw Purdue sleepwalk through this thing. Although Purdue actually. Uh, this is one of the first times I've seen this called, or that at least I can recall. Do you guys know of any touchdowns that have been called back for celebration? Uh, yes, the one today. Yep. <laughs> so Purdue is up 11. They get a pick six to go uh, to go up 18, and Big Ten refs decide they want to get some TV time, and they flag this kid for uh, celebration before he reaches the end zone because he was high-stepping a little bit. Maybe a lot of bit, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, like you, you pick it off, you should be able to high step that thing. And uh, so, congrats on your TV time, Big Ten refs. I hope your heater breaks tonight. And that, that, that was just not hey, to hey, take, take hey, the picks hey, away from that kid. Don't tempt fate around here with that. Don't, do not tempt fate. I will. There is one time. Do you remember one time? 
the pinstripe bowl a few years ago, Kansas state, Syracuse, a touchdown. Oh, I got yes. called back from Kansas state. Cause he started celebrating too early. And Great. it was just as dumb then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mo Ibrahim, 263 yards rushing on Iowa mm-hmm. in a losing effort, but still. I don't know why oh. Minnesota bothered trying to throw. Poor Oregon. You guys see yep. this? Scoop and score. Bo Nix is playing his butt off and just Oregon's defense gets to stop. Mm. Very tough. Um, Chip, Michigan State had to have it. Didn't get it. Didn't get it. Probably not going to get it. That was bad. It was real bad. Yeah, that was. I feel like Michigan State thought it was going bowling at halftime and then just stopped playing last week too because they got backdoored last week. Like they they got they got backdoored today, and they just like Indiana kicked in the back door on the cover, and they just went through the house and just robbed the entire place and walked out the front door. I was like, okay, cool. Like we're up, up 17, feeling pretty good. Laid 10 here. All right. Like, but like, let's, let's forget our, um, our, yeah, our lock sense. agreement that yeah. lost because Michigan state had a 22 yard field goal to reach bowl eligibility at the end of regulation. Oh, they did. Yes. Oh, I turned it off. Once I did, no, I, no, no, no. I didn't care anymore. Michigan trash. I went back to watch them for New Northwestern. <laughs> yeah. A chip shot field goal to reach bowl eligibility. And like, yes, you and I would have taken the L, but Michigan State would have at least had the win. And yet. Unbelievable. I this this is bad. I hey, my overhit quick. <laughs> it's you you did call that one, even as they were calling back uh touchdowns early in the game. Coming up on the other side, we go inside the Big 12, the SEC, the Pac-12, and more from the best of the rest next. All right, Big 12. I thought legitimately it was a scoreboard glitch when I saw Kansas State up 28-19 to in the first quarter against West Virginia. I was not watching live because it was a 2 p.m. start, and 2 p.m. starts on a college football Saturday exist in an alternate universe. I don't know how you would be able to prepare yourself to watch a 2 p.m. start, but that is what they're asking you to do. It included uh, special teams touchdowns, defensive touchdowns. It was uh, a crazy first quarter, but it was one that saw, again, Kansas State have the lead, and they were able to defend that lead the rest of the way against West Virginia, they win 48 to 31. Oklahoma scored 28 points in the first quarter and not another one. They but they win 28 to 13 against Oklahoma State in Bedlam. Texas took out all of its frustration against Kansas. 55 to 14 winners. Uh Bijan Robinson with an absolute monster game. 243 yards rushing, four rushing touchdowns. And Texas Tech 14 to 10 winners at Iowa State. Any takeaways from the Big 12 results? Yeah, you know, Bud and I got into a debate earlier this week about whether or not Texas was improving. Texas beat Kansas. So, Bud, you're right. They are improving. They're an improved team from last year that definitely has some flaws. Uh, I think my power ratings tomorrow will have Texas 1, Kansas State 2, TCU 3, as far as, like, betting power numbers. I still 
at K-State. And I'll have to manually adjust down Texas a little bit again if, they, if they're going to play a, somebody with a pulse. Uh, I kind of wonder what's going on there at quarterback for Kansas. You know, um, I don't know. Maybe we'll get into that more on Monday if, if, if I hear uh, if, if I hear more on that. Uh, Oklahoma State tonight had 484 yards and 13 points. As somebody who bet over 66 in this game, that's a, that's an annoyance of mine currently. Uh, not not really loving that because if the game features 930 yards, it doesn't have to go over 66 points, but it shouldn't have 41 points, which is what it had tonight. That's uh, that's crazy. Just tremendous red zone defense slash red zone red zone defense for Oklahoma. Red zone incompetence for Oklahoma State and. Uh, yeah, did you guys actually watch this? Because I did not. I was watching it on my phone a little bit. and, and No, I, it was early on. I just had to relegate it. There was yeah. too much other stuff going on. I, this is, this there were no stakes in the game, right? Like, yeah. the, it wasn't – yeah, they weren't playing for anything. So. I felt like we. you texted. Like, you were like, do you, you asked, do you think the over is going to hit? And I says, I don't know. We're going to find out a lot about who Brent Pettibles is tonight. Is he going to, like, call off the dogs or is he going to keep his foot on his third throat? And I – Clearly, they didn't score another point after the first quarter, so maybe the offense was just awful, and we didn't really see it. We'll talk more about it on Monday, I'm sure, or certainly seemed like he took his foot off the throat in a rivalry game, which I don't recommend. I would agree with that. Sixth win for Oklahoma. The Sooners are bowl eligible in Brent Venable's first season. Matt Campbell, by the way. Should we we talk about Matt Campbell in close games now? Because his record in close games since the COVID year is... Uh, it's like Scott Frostian. Yeah, I was I was asking in Slack. I I don't know how many jobs Matt Campbell has officially turned down, but I was wondering if tonight, as Iowa State lost its seventh game, which means it will not go bowling, is he having any regrets about that right now? They outgained Texas Tech by a hundred and seventy yards. And, and lost at home, scoring 10 total points. Just 422 to 246. People don't do that to Texas Tech. Texas Tech's MO is that it has 600 yards. They're like seven for nine on fourth down. They score a good number of points, and then they give up a 50-burger. Hell, like like we talked about Kansas last week, had almost nine yards of play against this Texas Tech defense. What? How do you – again – I'm sometimes like, when you drag everybody into the muck every single week, sometimes you drag yourself into it too. All right, so drive length that did not result in a touchdown. 63, they had to kick a field goal. Uh, they kicked a field goal on a 66-yarder. That was before the half, so I'm assuming that was uh, like they didn't have a choice to go, go for the touchdown really. And then back-to-back turnover on downs, 55 and 40. I think that was, those were in the red zone. They scored a touchdown on the next drive. Hooray! And then they punted uh, on 19. It just, ugh, that that's a tough year for those guys. I, I think this is, was it last year or two years ago? It had to be last year because I've only been on the show for two years. We got all the, all the hate for uh, for saying like Iowa State enjoy going to bowls. Like like bowls should be celebrated. They're not a program that's going to win a, a, a conference title. Yeah, it was going in going into last year. Iowa State fans believed they had Big Twelve title hopes, and you were pointing to Iowa State's football history. And it created a modern rivalry, but against Iowa State fans. Yeah, the, 
they I mean, I understand the decisions based on the game situation, but they had two fourth and ones at the Texas Tech two in the third quarter. They didn't kick a field goal on either of them, and I would have done the same. But they got stuffed on both. And in a four-point game, when you pass up two field goals because you go for it twice and fourth and you don't get it, right decision or wrong, that that looms large. Before we get to the Pac-12 and uh, a horrific beat in Stanford Cal, Ugh. I mean, I wasn't on it, but I, I, I recognize how absurd it is. We need to celebrate... We need to celebrate the Vanderbilt Commodores who are a Tennessee win away from being bowl eligible in year two under Clark Lee. I would just like to point out that in Slack earlier today, one of our coworkers, Barrett Slee, said, I keep during the early games, he said, I'm keeping an eye on the SEC games in case there are any upsets. And I said, like Vanderbilt beating Florida. And this was before the opening kick, and I was poo-pooed in Slack. People thought I was joking. Well, I mean, we I did not call this. Danny did call this with, with his money line sprinkles. Uh, but we did note that Florida had kind of gotten fat on teams that looked like they had quit. So South Carolina last week just no-showed that game, right? And then prior to that, the game at Texas A&M, they – Got a game effort from AM in the first half, and then A-Chain gets hurt, right? And then they, they end up blowing him out in the second half. But I mean, up until tonight, South Carolina had been one of the least competitive teams in the SEC, and Texas A&M probably is the least competitive team in the SEC. So Florida, with a, a you know their, their big heads off, off crushing South Carolina, they got the Knolls on deck, they go up there, and they get bit. And they, they had the lead in this one, right? Man, dude, just, just three nothing. Look at the box score. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Florida yeah. had 445 yards. Vandy had 283. Anthony Richardson threw for 400 yards in this game, and Florida lost. Yeah, but Florida is not a team that you want to see throwing the football 43 times. They're a run team. Rich, Richardson will have big numbers, but he also has big misses, you know? And uh, uh, but stopping the run is like an effort thing. It was sure. cold in Nashville, and the tryhards who were inspired by their confidence. And as Barton told us on the instant reaction show last week, you go back and even look at the last couple of defeats in the last month or so, you can see things starting to click. This is a, this is a huge win, obviously, first back to back. SEC wins since November of 2018. It does move Vanderbilt to five and six overall. Um, this is a it's quite a moment here for uh, for Barton and the Commodores. Don't just walk into First Bank Stadium thinking you're going to walk away with a win because you're the Florida Gators. You know who they got next week? I'm saying Tennessee, and you know who's probably quarterback in Tennessee. Joe, Joe Milton. Milton. Now look, maybe Jordan will be right about Joe Milton. The Joe Milton I saw tonight, I don't think he's right yet. Joe Milton can throw you the football. And by you, I mean the opposing defense. So I'm just saying, it's not crazy to think that Vanderbilt could win three in a row in conference to close out the year. Well, that would be a streak. You know what else is a streak? 
Texas A&M not scoring 30 points against an FBS team because while UMass's FBS status oftentimes gets debated, Texas A&M didn't even get to 21. It was a field goal, a touchdown, a field goal and a touchdown in a 20 to 3 win and a failure to cover as the Aggies improved to 4 and 7 overall but still lacking a 30 point game against an FBS team. I know we have guys in, in the chat, or at least who listen to us, who have databases that go back a long way. And I don't need access to your whole database, but I do want you to run a query. Can you find me a game in which a team in game 11 was favored by more than they had scored in the FBS game in an entire year? Because Texas A&M has not scored 34 or 33 or even 32 in an FBS game this year. They haven't scored 30, as Chip said. The streak lives since before Halloween of 21. They were favored by more than they had scored in a game all year, which honestly made sense because they're playing UMass. And AM had a ton of guys out tonight. Like, I get this. Like, it's more. Do I think there's some transfer portal flu going on? Yes. yes. Do I think they have a lot, like a weird high number of injuries this year? Also, yes. But I feel like this deep into the season to be favored by, by that big uh, is, uh, it's got to be a rarity, right? If you haven't scored 30 all year. Mm-hmm. Did you see how empty that place was? That's what my, like, of all yeah. the numbers <clears throat> that are significant to me, also the number of attendees in Kyle Field at the start of the third quarter of this game, because at the start of the third quarter of this game, the uh, score was 10 to 3. This was a one score game to start the second half, and nobody was in that 100,000-plus seat stadium. I don't know that the 12th man had a 12th man in it. Bro. Not good. Everyone, I mean, that, everyone keeps acting like it's like, oh, like that buyout's so big, nothing's going to happen there. Bro, you start seeing know. an empty stadium like that, some people start getting upset. I mean, all it takes is like one a and booster to be a little bit unscrupulous and maybe on a crypto exchange is like, oh, I mean, a couple of billions missing. Like, what, what, what's 85 million if you can pull that off, right? Oh, that would be so hilarious. Like, FTX goes down <laughs> because they spent the money on firing Jimbo. That's that, that is actually what might be happening. Uh, would West Virginia <laughs> hire him if they did yes. fire him? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. I think that'd be a perfect West Virginia hire. Beautiful. I mean, he's from West Virginia. Like, he talks about West Virginia a lot. Um, country roads take me home. Oh, Jimbo to West Virginia. I'm I'm here for it. I would love it. I think it'd be great for everybody involved, except for Coca. Would that be bad? No, I think that's a good. Never mind. We're not. Listen, we've got a lot of time to start to cook up those fantasies, and we're already 73 minutes into this podcast. The 12th man entered the portal. We haven't even talked about the fact that Ole Miss uh, lost shellacked. 15 to Arkansas. Shout out to Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks. Yes, sir. You are bowl eligible uh, going into the last weekend. We don't even have to sweat the rivalry game against Missouri. The Ole Miss has, in its last four results, there are three losses, and the only win is a three-point win against the Texas A&M team that we just trashed. On the other side, there is also... You know, a, a close loss to Alabama, 
The Rebels lost in the sauce just a little bit, and 21 fourth-quarter points made this closer than it really was. Alabama, Austin P. Eh. Uh, LSU does win emphatically against UAB. I think good on the Tigers for that. Any other takeaways from the SEC? And that was cosmetic surgery at the end of Ole Miss, Arkansas. Because like you said, that was 42 to 6 after three quarters. That was an Ole Miss team who pinned its entire season on the Alabama game. Yep. And I mean, that was Arkansas watching and saying, wait, Alabama ran the ball on you? I know we can do it. Because that, that Alabama can't run on nobody. So Cody Kennedy's offensive line gets up there, foot to foot, just mashing them dudes. Um, Ole Miss is kind of an example to me of, and, and I don't think Danny's always right on this as far as SEC bias and just sort of SEC, you know, buoyancy in, in the polls. But Ole Miss's resume is not a top 15 or whatever they were type resume to me. And I just think it's the three letters around their name, honestly, that that, that has them there. And I'm sure, like, who's going to be ranked Mississippi this week that, that we should not be ranked? South Carolina? Am I? No. Don't, don't be so sure. I no, mean, I yeah. am so sure. I mean, all right, I, let's do it then. All right. Much love to the Pac-12, but sorry, just like you get disrespected <laughs> everywhere else. Here's what we think is going to happen in the top 25 on Sunday. So Ole Miss, as a uh, three-loss team, being from the SEC and with a close loss to Alabama, is probably going to hang on in the top 25. They were number 14 in the AP top 25 last week. I think they fall to number 22 that would put them behind the likes of a Cincinnati, behind the likes of a Tulane, of a Coastal Carolina. I think that North Carolina is going to hang on as it only took its second loss as well. Those teams were 13 and 14. I think they come in at 21 and 22. Oklahoma State will fall out after the loss to Oklahoma. Texas bumps in. They were one of the top teams receiving votes last week that did not make the top 25. You put up a double nickel on the board, scoreboard watchers are going to say, okay, you can get in now, especially because some of the other teams that were on balance last week, the likes of an NC State, the likes of a Liberty, the likes of a Duke, all took losses. UCF is an interesting one, probably the most interesting in the top 25 debate, just because they were 17 last week. They lost 17 to 14 against Navy, but they do have wins against Tulane and Cincinnati teams that are both in the top 25, you could argue that UCF's resume is better than Ole Miss's, but I don't think as a consensus across the 63 voters, we are going to see that decision being made. I think all of those teams remain in the rankings. Um, not much change up top. I don't know. Where, where, where are y'all's big questions at? These are all sound, logical arguments that you're making, Chip, but I must ask you one question. Yes. Did any of those teams happen to beat a top five team by 25 points today? A top, did any of those teams happen to be an SEC team that beat a top five team by 25 points today? This is did your it, South Carolina is going to crash the top 25 argument. Yes. Saying it's a lot more likely than I think you believe it is. What if I told you the top five team they beat is from the SEC? Hmm? It was going to be the playoff. Because it lost. All right. So so let's go. The losses: <laughs> Arkansas, Georgia, want to deal with our crap, right? Missouri and Florida. The wins: Tennessee, yes. Kentucky, 
Kentucky, a perennially ranked Kentucky team. Mm. I'm going to say no. Is Kentucky ranked for a quality loss? No. Okay. All right. Just checking. Hey, uh, it's happened in prior weeks, right? We just got to cover the bases. This is the protocol. So it doesn't happen as much later in the season, honestly, because later in the season, you do have more full body of work. And we start to see it really even in the like the others receiving votes, you can start to see how the voting behavior has really zeroed in on a, a smaller group of teams. Earlier in the season, a lot of teams where the disparity in others receiving votes is you know, not that much. Then you get into later in the year, they, the group think sets in, writers are exhausted, you're late in the year, you're just like, ah, whatever, like this team out, this team in. Uh, you don't quite see as much. I do think that we are going to have uh, USC moving up into the top five. I think that we see Clemson moving probably up to number seven. And then uh, we still got some results out there that we need to uh, shake out in the middle of the rankings. Notre Dame moving up to number 14. Hello, quality win or loss for USC. We'll, we'll see what happens right there. So I right now, I could be wrong for sure. But right now, I'm going to say that Texas who is just outside the top 25 and on a bunch of ballots last week is the only new addition to the top 25. Well, Bud brought up a great point. And you just mentioned Texas earlier this year, Texas lost a close game to an undefeated Alabama and entered the poll after not being ranked the previous week. What if another team lost a close game, say on a field goal with nine seconds left today, that Illinois. had been ranked before, but it lost to this undefeated team that's currently in the top three. And it was a very close game. Shouldn't it maybe if we all follow the same logic that we use when Texas loses to Alabama, shouldn't Illinois work its way back into the poll? I don't know. I don't know a lot of other teams that would have a lead over Michigan in Ann Arbor that late in the fourth quarter. In fact, nobody has. Just How you- I feel like that's got to be one of the 25 best teams in the country. How are you going to like ruin Oregon State's day like this? They've won eight games for the first time since 2012 after winning at Arizona State. The Beavs are hanging on to that top 25 status with their little beaver claws, and you're trying to kick them out just so that you can get Illinois in there. I can't. I think it was Matt Hitton who tweeted it, but it was tr- it was true, even if it wasn't Matt. Oregon State's got to be the most anonymous eight and three team in college football history, as far as the Power Five is concerned. They were pretty beat up today, and they went down and just beat the heck out of Arizona State. Arizona State might be done. Like they had a nice little bounce back from Sean Aguano, the the, uh, the interim coach there, and Borgay was kind of a fun story. The, uh, the the quarterback they put in, whose brother, or maybe there's another kid by that last name that plays for for is it Western in the MAC. Uh, but yeah, they're not that bad. Like they're pretty physical long lines of scrimmage. They have a bunch of tailbacks they can replace. Uh, they got Trayshawn Harrison, who's who's pretty solid at, at receiver. The quarterback is just bad, regardless of who it is. But Nolan is the starter, but he's been out for a bunch of weeks, and they, they keep winning ball games. Um, that's your Oregon State minute, Chip. We did cover the Pac-12. <laughs> Do we need to cover Pac-12 games that are not the one I'm currently watching? Are not USC, UCLA, and are not uh, Washington State? By the way, guys, Washington State's good. Like, that's a very good defense, and they just embarrassed Arizona's offense today. I'm glad we're talking the Pac-12 because I've got more Pac-12 questions for you. 
okay. regarding the rankings. With Tennessee losing, it's going to be a new top five team. Does LSU move up to five at nine and two, or does USC, after beating UCLA and improving to 10 and one, jump LSU and move into that five spot? And what about a suddenly 10 and one Clemson? Oh, it's USC. You're sure. I mean, you you asked my opinion on it, so. Okay. Does Clemson jump Bama? Yes. Okay. Bama gets no love from a 34 to nothing win against Austin P. Clemson won decidedly against Miami. Yes, I think so. Uh, do we think that Tennessee will fall like behind Oregon if the Ducks win? Hmm. That's a pretty bad loss, man. To a, yeah, a, I mean, like, like you can't lose by twenty-five with a concession touchdown. I mean, it was, it, it was a bigger margin than that for a part, you know, for a little while. Yes, I think Oregon jumps into the top ten. I think they fall behind. Hmm. <sighs> kind of hard to. Tennessee has two losses. Alabama has two losses. Tennessee beat Alabama. I think that head-to-head is respected. So maybe Oregon just jumps up into 10. Now that Tennessee does not have to be considered in the playoff, do we think the committee will continue to respect that? And do we think the AP will act in the playoff either? Oh, but they could be. No, they can't. You don't think tonight's results increase the chance of that? Alabama's not going to be in the playoff. Two-loss team that doesn't even win its own division will not be in the college football playoff. It's 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 quite unlikely, but I I do think it's probably like a three or four percent shot. I don't want it. Okay. If I'm telling you right now, if a two-loss Alabama makes the college football <laughs> playoff, I am never even discussing the playoff on this show again because it will be complete bullshit. It won't be a real thing. It'll just be a made-up television event to get ratings for, for facts, not opinion, not nothing. If that happened, we would know it would be confirmed. The championship is the secondary aspect of the, of the whole thing. Which is good because the regular season is the best part of college football. So Agreed. let's just forget about the college football playoff entirely. You know, we can only talk about these incredible days that we have. We got a tie ball game in Eugene, boys. Good. Uh, let's go to overtime. I mean, that is uh, that's pretty amazing. Did we talk about the Stanford bad beat? So the total was at 46 and a half. Stanford was down by 10. They were driving and they were seemingly out of field goal range, but not totally out of field goal range because David Shaw and all of his NFL bound wisdom knew that he had a kicker who could boot it from 61 yards and get it between the uprights. So as time expired, a 10 point Stanford loss turned into a seven point Stanford loss. And the total finishes at 47 instead of being at 44. Yep. Some of us had the under. Some of us had Cal, and we're like, what are you doing, Cal, for the vast majority of this game? And then they, they win the fourth quarter 21-3, to three, obviously three being the the field goal that Chip just discussed. Uh, 
So Cal starts this game. I actually did watch some of this on a, on a stream, um, maybe an illegal stream. I don't know. Cal starts this game off. Let's go. Let's go. I'm a little bit lower on some of the teams in the bottom of the Sun Belt. If things go wrong, they could be like UMass UConn. That's kind of like sicko mode of a sicko mode. All right, so Cal starts this game off moving the ball great. I'm like, okay, we're, we're looking good here. Gonna co- gonna cover four and a half. Gonna cover six. Probably both. Cal fired its offensive coordinator, offensive line coach earlier this week. I actually made that as an upgrade because I thought those were terrible hires in the first place by Justin Wilcox, and he'd probably have a better job if he had wanted it. He actually had a functioning offense for the last couple of years. Uh, anyway, 39 yards have kicked field goal. 55 yards have kicked field goal. 22 yards turnover on downs. Uh, then they go 25 yards. I got to punt it. 78 yards. Throw a first down. First and goal interception. Okay. Then I'm like, this is just not going to work out. Because on the other hand, Stanford is actually scoring points. 75-yard touchdown drive, 51-yard touchdown drive. On a Cal defense, it's normally okay. And then Cal just goes into the tank for the next four drives. 18-1-1-24, all punts. All right, well, this is just kind of – it's not going to work, right? Just, just not my day here. Just flipping the coins and whatnot. And then, like, okay, we're doing all right here. Cal actually has a decent touchdown drive, 47 yards. Nice. Fumble six. Like, okay, like Cal could win the game. Cal could cover the game. <laughs> Jaden Knott, one-yard touchdown run. But not before. Cal also took the time to throw another first and goal pick. This honestly probably should not have been close. And due to that, in fact, Cal was outgained in this ballgame. Stanford had 400 yards, which I don't think they've had in quite a few weeks. Um, Time to extend Shaw. I didn't watch any of this game. Okay. (laughs) I saw saw the bad beat. First of all, Chip, it's the game, not this game. Is it not the big game? I don't know. It's it's I think it's the game. It's a game purportedly. <laughs> Did you guys watch any of the Arizona games? I, I, I was not able to. I just I, I saw the box scores. Uh Jaden Delora had the yin to last week's yang. <laughs> I figured he might. Yeah. It's big game. The game is Ohio State, Michigan. The big game, Stanford Cal. Glad we've got that cleared up. Band on the field. Band is on the field. 125 meetings. Stanford leads 65, 49 to 11, but they do not win here on Saturday in week 12. Let's right. uh let's track this, by the way. With two minutes and 30 seconds, Jackson Powers for the offensive line for Oregon, who is replacing Forsyth, who went down late in last game. He also left the game. So let's just for the, for UFR. Let's see how much this impacts because it was seventeen seventeen when he went down, and uh, yeah, Washington worked Colorado. That was my easiest lock of the week. There you go. Didn't ignore it. Um, <laughs> shout out to Randy in the chat. Shout out to Randy in the chat. <laughs> Colorado will have a better uh, hiring process than Arizona State, I think, and it may not yes. matter because. Arizona State has more built-in advantages, potentially. Because they're uh, actually having a hiring process. <laughs> so the funniest thing about uh, 
UCF losing to Navy is that because of tiebreakers, they're not out of the conference title race at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other funny thing is that, that since that game started an hour earlier than every other game, I entirely forgot that happened today. It feels like a Friday game that we normally would not discuss. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So on Arizona State, by the way, I, I'm going to save that for, for the Monday show. Shout out to Travis Trickett for the job that, that USF's offense did with a fourth-string quarterback and two guys who look like me at receiver and a couple offensive linemen out. And just I think they had like eight or nine starters down, and they still put up a 40 spot on, on Tulsa. Maybe, maybe some of that's Tulsa not trying that hard, but. Mm. Mm. Good, Anything good else before we get out of here? Uh, I mean, a lot to get to. It was a it was an insane day. You know the the number of times that we came so close to an even more chaotic day made it feel um, awesome. First of all, but the the final you know put it, put all the pieces together it doesn't seem like there was a lot of chaos we came real close to total chaos so uh, much love to to college football for delivering once again we will be back with more of our notes from the week that was we will go back and see the games that we hadn't seen we've got this final 17 to 7 the minute 30 left in the third quarter to talk about between Oregon and Utah and so much more. And you can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow him at Tom Pernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you